again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. In September of 1620, the Mayflower left Plymouth, England to settle in what is now Plymouth, Massachusetts. With the help of the Wampanoag, a bit more than half survived to the harvest of 1621, after which there was a feast that we think of as the first Thanksgiving. But there's more to giving thanks than a big meal. Teaching team member Bob Cargo brings us this message entitled Thanksgiving, Not the Holiday, the Gift of God, which covers Psalm 107 and various other scriptures. Thank you for joining us today. Let me be perhaps the first person to wish you happy Thanksgiving. I, maybe I'm the first. I'm four or five days ahead of schedule. So uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. And I hope that it really is a great day of giving thanks. Uh, you know, any reflective and thoughtful person, I think, will understand the importance of stoking a thankful heart, right? If you just stop and think about it, it's important to stoke thankfulness. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, a Roman philosopher by the name of Cicero said, not only is a thankful heart the greatest virtue, but it is the parent of all other virtues. I think he may have overstated it a little bit, but he's definitely headed in the right direction. Well, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, thankfulness is a very, very important thing. In fact, there's a very close connection in the scriptures between being a follower of the Lord and being a thankful person. Just a couple of verses about this, and none of these are the main passages we'll look at today, but just to stoke our thinking and start us thinking in the right direction, consider this. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we see this. And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know God's will? One part of his will is that in every circumstance that you're to be giving thanks. Not, maybe not for that circumstance, but in that circumstance. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. What? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And verse 7 gives a great promise. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Likewise, there's a strong connection in the scriptures, uh, some frightening warnings, in fact, of the connection between a lack of gratitude and a lack of faith in God. In fact, a rejection of the gospel that is seen by ingratitude. Two examples of that. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is describing those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says about them in verse 21, For although they knew God, that is, they knew about God through creation and through their own conscience, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's what it says in Romans 1. Likewise, in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews is describing those that build their own little kingdoms apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says in Hebrews 12 that their kingdoms there will be shattered and destroyed, but we have a kingdom that will not be destroyed. And then in Hebrews 12, 28, this is what he says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. <laughs> so to worship him acceptably involves thankfulness. Here's my point. Thankfulness is a lot more important to our spirituality than we might have thought. It really is. Thankfulness is much more important to our spirituality than we might have earlier thought. Today we want to talk about this. The title of today's message is Thanksgiving, not the holiday, but the gift of God. 
Not the holiday, but the gift of God. And that's what we want to talk about today. A heart of thankfulness, we would say, is not only a duty, it's not only a calling that goes to all people, it is also something else. It's actually a gift that God gives to us. In fact, we describe it, we could describe it today with two different mindsets. Let's refer to the first one as mindset A. You'll see it on the screen. Mindset A that we don't want to embrace is one that brings about these attitudes. As we look to the past and as we look to the present, this mindset builds bitterness and ingratitude. And as we look to the future, it builds anxiety and fear. Mindset B is what we want to recommend today, so to speak. Mindset B, as we look to the past and as we look to the present, what is developed is gratitude and thanksgiving. And as we look to the future, we, we have confidence and we have peace. Let me ask you today, what circumstances in your life, perhaps today, are bringing about the attitudes of mindset A? Are there certain circumstances that you're facing today and those circumstances make you feel like God has stopped loving you, that his love has run out, that he's abandoned you? What circumstances are producing fear or anxiety or anger or embitterment? Or perhaps what is going on in your heart that you would feel like, well, I'm entitled and I'm demanding that certain things be true in my life. What's going on inside of you? Today we want to look at Psalm 107 because it's a great psalm about thanksgiving. You have a Bible, turn with me please to Psalm 107. Psalms is in the middle of your Bible if you're sort of new to Bible stuff. Right there in the middle in Psalm 107 uh, will be sort of toward the right-hand side of the book of Psalms. If you don't have that uh, Bible with you, you'll see an insert in your bulletin. It'll give you the outline of today's message. And even if you do have a Bible, you might want to grab that outline. It'll help you follow along. And on page two of that insert that gives you the outline will also give you most of the passage today that we'll look at. And you'll also see it all on the screen. Psalm 107 is a great psalm to look at about thanksgiving. Because the very first verse sets the tone of what this whole psalm is about. Follow as I look at verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 107, the psalmist says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Say what? That he's good, that his love endures forever. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands from the east and west and north and south. And then verses 6 and 8 say this. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Now, interestingly enough, what we see in verse 6 and 8, those same words are repeated three more times in the psalm. Now, I'm not real smart, but I can figure this out. When the same two sentences are found four times in one psalm, that's what the psalm is about. I can figure that out. And that's what's going on in Psalm 107. It comes up over and over again four times. And so what is Psalm 107 about? It is about the unfailing love of God. It is about the deeds of God on the behalf of people like you and me. And it is about having a genuine, heartfelt giving of thanks to God because his love never fails and because he has acted on our behalf to bless us and deliver us. That's what this psalm 
is really all about. If that weren't enough, as we see what the big picture of what the psalm is about, in verse 43, the very last verse of the psalm, notice how it ends. It says this, whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider what? The great love of the Lord. You know, there's a difference between wisdom and being smart. Our culture has lost that difference. But it says here in this psalm, if you're wise, consider the great love of the Lord. Now, I have to tell you, this is a very important psalm for me to prepare and to preach and to hear. And the reason is, I'm not naturally a grateful and thankful person. I'm really not. I'll just sort of share the ugliness of my heart with you, but that's the truth of the matter. And through the years, as I've tried to examine this about myself, I've come to a terrible conclusion. It's this, that for me, the root of my ingratitude is pride. Ugly, awful, illogical, sinful pride. And I know experientially that when I embrace pride, it will lead eventually to my sadness. And when I embrace thanksgiving, it will lead eventually to my joy. And yet I go back over and over again to a prideful way of thinking that always leads me to sadness. Why do I do that? Well, I'm a sinner. God is in the midst of changing me and I'm better than I used to be. But I need his grace and I need his forgiveness. Today we want to look at the central defining truth that can start to change this in your life and in mine to feed a heart of thanksgiving. The key word of this whole psalm is in verse 2, and it's the word redeemed. Redeemed. What does it mean to be redeemed? It means to be retrieved. It means to be regained. It means to be recovered through a payment of some kind, through an accomplishment of some kind. And in verse 2 it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say this, say what? That the Lord is good, his love endures forever, and therefore we are thankful. The key word is the word redeemed. Now let me give you the context, the background of this psalm. We're not 100% certain when this psalm was written, but most scholars would believe, and I would agree, that this psalm was probably written to and about the Israelites after they were in the exile in Babylon. In about 605 B.C., Jerusalem was conquered by the Babylonians, and the people of Israel were taken away into captivity. They were released from captivity in 538 B.C. And probably the psalm is written to and about those Israelites who had come out of the Babylonian captivity and returned to Jerusalem. And in this psalm, there are four pictures of how awful it was to be in captivity and what that was like and how God delivered them when they cried out to him. And after every one of those four pictures of being in captivity, it says, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds among men because they cried out and God delivered. And in those four pictures, we see four pictures of our redemption. Now, here's the essence of what I want to say to you today is this. Why are you and I so often discontent and ungrateful? I think it's because of this. We take for granted our redemption. We undervalue our redemption. We don't deeply, deeply, deeply believe how amazing and firm our redemption is. And so the result is this, that when our circumstances make us feel like God is far away, we doubt his love. Or when our guilt is right there in our face, we doubt his love. And all thankfulness is sucked out of our experience. A lack of gratitude in all things reveals something. 
It reveals my lack of belief in the gospel. I may say I believe it, but in that moment, I'm not believing it. Because ingratitude, discontent has crawled all over me. And what I need, what the antidote is, is this. To deeply understand my redemption again. To deeply believe in my redemption again. And by believing it, to find thankfulness growing in my heart. There is a way toward a joyful, thankful heart in every circumstance. And what we want to see today is this. Thankfulness for our redemption in Christ feeds a thankful heart in every circumstance. So let's dig in. Today we want to look at these four pictures of Israel's redemption. They are also four pictures of our redemption. And let's let that reality of our redemption feed a thankful heart. Here's picture number one. It is that the lost are found. The lost are found. Look at please with me please at verses four through nine, and we'll see a picture of the lost being found. Verse four. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Would you read with me, uh, please, aloud what's underlined in verses 6 through 8? Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for men. For He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Now, perhaps this describes Israel's experience on the way to captivity or on the way back. Perhaps it describes uh, the uh, experience of some of them while they were in captivity. Or maybe it is rather uh, an, an illustrative way, a figurative way of saying, this was, is what the whole captivity felt like. It felt like being wandering in the wilderness and not knowing whether you would live or die. Now, probably none of us in this room, and very few people in our culture, have ever feared for their life by being lost. But at this time in the history of the world, in this part of the world, that was not an uncommon experience. The heat of the desert in the day, and the cold of the desert at night, the lack of resources to find water and food, to be lost, to be truly, truly lost, was to face probable death. That was the experience of these people, it's saying here. They were lost. They were wandering. And God retrieved them, and he brought them back to a city, figuratively speaking, and then he brought them to the city of Jerusalem. He brought them out of wilderness. Now, isn't this your story and mine? We were lost and we were found. This is the way the apostle Peter put it in chapter 2. He says, you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We were lost, then we came back. Maybe a better picture even is in the parable that Jesus told. This is my story and yours. Jesus said there was a shepherd that had 100 sheep. 99 were safe, but one was lost. And so what does he do? He leaves the 90 and 9, and he goes out, and he searches everywhere until he finds the one that is lost. And then he puts it over his shoulder, and he brings it back rejoicing. And in this case, to be retrieved meant the death of our shepherd. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, and I laid down my life for the sheep. Let me ask you, believer in Jesus Christ, before you came to faith in Christ, how lost were you? Were you a little bit lost? Were you kind of lost? Were you sort of lost? 
Perhaps your background and your story is one that anybody would have known that your life was a disaster. Through drug addiction, alcohol addiction, through being rejected by a spouse or a family, by being jobless or whatever the case may be. Yes, your life was at the end of, you were at the end of your rope. And everybody knew it. And Jesus came and he saved you and he redeemed you and he changed you. But, and if that is your story, then perhaps you would say, Bob, I know that I was hopelessly lost. I was disastrously lost. But if that is not your story, you might be tempted to think, before I met Jesus, I was kind of lost. I was a little bit lost. I was sort of lost. But the Bible says the truth of the matter is that your story and my story, the story of every believer is this. Before we found Jesus, we were hopelessly lost. We were perilously lost, as lost as a sheep would be facing death, knowing that if the shepherd doesn't find him, he will not find his way home, and he will not find food and water for himself, and he will die if the shepherd doesn't show up. Now, if I know that I was that helplessly lost, how thankful should I be that I have been found and that I have been retrieved? That's the point here. The lost have been found. And if I know that I was hopelessly lost, I'll not be a little bit grateful. I'll be deeply grateful. I'll be powerfully grateful. The lost are found. The second picture of our redemption in this passage is that the guilty in chains are set free. The guilty in chains are set free. Look at verses 10 through 16. Here's what the psalmist says. Some sat in darkness in the deepest gloom. Prisoners suffering in iron chains... For they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. And that is why Israel was taken away into Babylon. They had rebelled against the word of God. So he subjected them to bitter labor and they stumbled and there was no one to help. Would you read aloud with me, please, verses 13 through 15. Then they crying to the Lord in their distress, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom. And broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, for his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Now, I don't think this was the experience of every single Israelite that went into Babylon, but it was the experience of some that they had chains upon them and they were either in dungeons or in a place like a jail and it was dark and they never knew if they were going to come out alive or not. Perhaps nobody in this room has ever had that kind of experience. To be chained, to be in a place that you never knew if you would come out alive or not. But that was the experience of these people. And and perhaps when we stop and think about it, every one of us, we do know what that feels like. If we really stop and consider it, because here's what Jesus said, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. That's my story. That's your story. You know what it's like to be enslaved to something that you hate. You do it, you keep doing it, and you hate that you do it. Or you can't force yourself to do something that's good and right, and you try to do it, and you just can't. Every one of us knows what that feels like. Jesus said, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. We know what this feels like to be in chains, to be in a dungeon. But Jesus also gave us the good news, and he said this, if the Son of Man makes you free you will be free indeed. And that's the good news of the gospel. 
Perhaps you're here today and you're just sort of investigating what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And you know what it feels like to be addicted. There are addictions in your life. You are a person in chains. We want to tell you that Jesus offers freedom. There's an old hymn that describes this freedom. It's called, And Can It Be? I first learned it with an old tune, and someone has put a new tune to it, and I wish we sang it more often in our church. The first verse talks about how amazing it is to have the love of God. It says, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, who caused this pain for me, who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be? that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. And then verse 4 describes how God obliterates our chains. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and follow thee. My friends, this is my story. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your story. He came and supernaturally blew the chains off of your wrist and your ankles. He threw open the doors of the dungeon, and then he persuaded you to stand up and walk into freedom, and you are free. I'm sure a big part of what Randy's series in Romans 6 and 7 will be about is this. Don't you dare walk back into the dungeon and put the chains back on. You can if you want to. It just doesn't make any sense. You have been set free. This is your story. So be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. If you're here investigating the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would offer to you today this freedom. Surrender to Christ. Trust in him. And watch him take the chains off of your wrists and your ankles. Watch him throw the door of the dungeon open and set you free. The lost are found. The guilty in chains are set free. The third picture of our redemption is this. The sick unto death are healed. Look at verses 17 to 22. The psalmist says, Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. Again, it was because of their sin that they were led away to Babylon. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Please read aloud with me verses 19 to 21. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. You know, I think perhaps one of the most notable parts of Jesus' ministry was his ministry of healing. What were those experiences of healing all about? Was Jesus trying to sort of do tricks to scam people out of their money? No, he didn't ask for money for what he did. Was he doing tricks to get people to listen to his sermons? No, it's much more than that. Jesus healed people because he loved people. He healed people because our bodies matter. And then when Jesus returns one day, all physical matter will be made right again. And we will be given physical bodies that will last forever. He's come to heal us physically. 
But also Jesus' healing of people that were sick while he was here on earth was for another reason. It was to call attention to the sickness of our souls, the sickness of our hearts, the sickness that we have spiritually, and it is a sickness unto death, and we need him to heal us. Let me ask you today, can you, can you really look at the current events of the world today or the current events of our city or our country and not conclude two things? We as human beings were made for something that is glorious and good and right, and we know it. But we in our heart of hearts have a sickness unto death. There is something sick about us that can lead us to so badly mistreat one another. It's the only way to describe the human predicament. We have a sickness unto death. And I'm not just talking about these awful people out there somewhere. When I consider how I hurt the people around me, by the things that I say and do, or the things that I fail to say and fail to do, there is a sickness of heart in my heart that can only be described as a desperate kind of sickness for which I need someone to heal me. But Jesus, my friends, is the great physician. And when, we, when he went about healing these people, as his way of saying, I want to heal, heal the spiritual sickness of your heart. There's a story that talks about Jesus being the great physician, and interestingly enough, in this story, nobody is sick and nobody gets healed, but he still makes the connection. Matthew 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. You need to understand the religious leaders of this day thought that tax collectors and people that didn't even pretend to be religious were the worst of the worst. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on overhearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. But go and learn what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I am such a sinner, I have a sickness unto death, but Jesus is the great physician of my soul. And one day when he returns, he'll be the great physician of my body as well, and he'll make everything right. The lost are found, the guilty in chains are set free, the sick unto death are healed. Let us give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. And the last portrait of our redemption is in verses 23 to 32. In this, he says, those in peril are delivered. Those in peril are delivered. Look at verses 23 to 32. He says, others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For God spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens as they went high on the waves. They went down to the depths as they went low in the waves. And in their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wits' end. Would you read aloud with me, please, verses 28 through 31? Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. 
Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Now, you see, the Israelites didn't have any natural harbors on their shores toward the Mediterranean. So the Israelites were not seafaring people. They didn't like the ocean. They were scared of the oceans. But probably this could mean that during the time of the Babylonian captivity, some of those Israelites were indentured servants serving with Babylonian merchants. And in their experience, they were out in these great storms, and they feared for their lives. Or perhaps this was only figurative language to say the Babylonian captivity felt like being in a terrible storm, a terrible storm, and you didn't know if you would survive it. And so they called out to the Lord in their distress. And not only literally did he bring those merchants back to dry land, he brought the people of Israel back to the promised land. And that's what he did for them. And so they give thanks to God. I love verse 29 in this Psalm 107. It says, he stilled the storm to a whisper. It makes me think of a story in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 8, the story is that Jesus got into a boat on the Sea of Galilee and his disciples got into that boat with him. And they went out into the Sea of Galilee and Jesus lay down and went to sleep and a great storm came up and waves were crashing over the boat so much that the disciples, some of whom were professional fishermen, were convinced they were going to die and Jesus was sound asleep. And so they wake him up said, Jesus, Master, save us, we perish. And they would have. They knew it, they would have. So what a, what a humorous picture. In the middle of this storm, Jesus wakes up and he pulls the sleep out of his eyes and maybe he stretches and he yawns and he looks around and he first of all rebukes the disciples for their lack of faith and then he speaks to the wind and the storm and he says, be still. And it was. The storm was hushed to a whisper. And these guys that had been hanging out with Jesus for months turned to each other and said, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The answer was, this is the Lord of all who came to save you from death. Let me ask you, believer, before coming to Jesus, what kind of danger were you in? Were you in a little danger or were you in great danger? My friends, you and I, before Jesus found us, we were in danger of eternal death. We were in danger of a death and a suffering that would last forever. There's good reason to fear that kind of peril. But Jesus came and he rescued us from peril. And he delivered us from that kind of death. Let me ask you. I don't want your Sunday school answer. I want to know what you feel. I want to know what you believe in the middle of the night. I want you to know what you believe down in your deepest soul. How big is your salvation? How great is it that he has found you and he has brought you out of the boat that was going to sink? And he has rescued you from peril. If you have been saved from a little bit of danger, you will have a little bit of thankfulness. But if you have been saved from great danger, from eternal danger, your thankfulness will be great and it will be deep. Why am I so often disdainful of gratitude? 
Why am I so often full of anxiety and fear and in bitterness? It's because of this. I forget my redemption. But believing deeply in my redemption will produce a heart of thankfulness in all things. Here is the big idea of today's message. I don't want you to miss it. Thankfulness for our redemption in Christ feeds a thankful heart in all things. Would you read that aloud with me, please? Thankfulness for our redemption in Christ feeds a thankful heart in all things. I forget my redemption, but when I remember my redemption, it helps in every way. Here's what you and I need to do. We need to recognize that our emotions are as fickle as the circumstances of our lives. And what we need to do is tether our fickle emotions to the rock of the gospel. We need to tether our fickle emotions, our temporary beliefs, to the rock of the fact that Jesus has lived for me and he has died for me and he has been raised up for me. And that is the rock that I build my life upon. And yes, my emotions may go one way or the other, but they're not going far. Why? Because they're tethered to the rock of the good news of Jesus. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, that the Lord is good. I know that I'm redeemed, and if I'm redeemed, he's going to take care of me. Let me summarize this message and give you one last observation. We'll be done. In this sermon, I've said the lost are found, those in chains are set free, the sick are healed, and those in peril are delivered. And that's too much to remember. I wrote the sermon, and I can't even remember it, okay? (laughs) So with thanks to Dr. Derek Kidner, let me give you four words that summarize what this sermon is all about. Retrieved, released, restored, and rescued. I have been retrieved, the lost are found. I have been released, those in chains are set free. I have been restored, the sick are healed. And I've been rescued those in peril are delivered. What does it mean to belong to the Lord? I've been retrieved from lostness. I've been released from chains. I've been restored to health. And I've been rescued from death. I've been retrieved, released, restored, rescued. You would say that aloud with me. Let me say it one more time. I'll have you say it with me. I've been retrieved, released, restored, rescued. Say it with me. I've been retrieved, released, restored, rescued. That is who I am because of the goodness of Jesus Christ. My friends, that's the good news. One last observation, and it's this. This defining reality for us that we are redeemed, this defining reality that we belong to the Lord now, this has not come without a price. This has come at a great price. It's come at the price that was paid on the cross. Peter, again, put it this way in 1 Peter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body. Where? On the tree, on the cross. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. And here's what we need to focus upon. At the cross, Jesus was left alone so that we could be found. At the cross, Jesus took on the guilt that put us in chains. So that our chains would be broken and we would be set free. At the cross, Jesus experienced our sickness unto death so that we could be healed. And at the cross, Jesus experienced the peril we dread so that we can be set free from fear and death forever. Another way of summarizing this message is to tell you, to paraphrase what it says in Romans 8. 
He who spared not his own son for us, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God loved me enough to give me a son, won't he take care of all my needs? Why am I so unthankful? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I'm convinced of this. No circumstance in heaven or earth can separate me from what? From the love of God, which is found where? In Christ Jesus. Seeker, this is the Redeemer that we offer you to, to you today. Surrender to him, believe in him, and live a life of giving thanks. And believer, this is your Redeemer, and this is your redemption. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he's good. His love endures forever. Don't believe what your circumstances tell you. His love endures forever. Whoever is wise, let him consider these things and consider and heed these things and consider what the great love of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we confess to you that we too often let our circumstances convince us that you have stopped loving us, that you have abandoned us, that for some reason your love has now run out and is empty. But Lord, we want today to look squarely at the cross of Jesus Christ. And we want to thank you that he did for us there everything that needs to be done. We want to believe with all of our hearts that he was alone so that we could be found. We want to believe with all of our hearts that he took upon himself our guilt to put us into chains so that we would believe that the chains have been broken off and we want to live in that freedom. We want to believe with all of our hearts that though we have had a sickness unto death, Jesus took upon that sickness and died, took upon himself that sickness and died for us, that we are being healed. And we want to believe also with all of our hearts, Lord, this truth, that not only have we been healed, but Lord, we have been delivered from peril. We would have surely died a death that would have made us suffer forever, but you have experienced it in our place. Thank you for your deliverance. And may every day we be so thankful for that redemption that would tether our fickle emotions and we would find a freedom to be thankful in all things. We pray it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.